their daily Johnny Cash on their diet, can't they? <laughs> hey, uh, good to be back with you. We are now officially in part three of our current series, Songs of Yesterday. And what we've been doing is taking some of the most popular worship songs, the most popular hymns uh, ever to be written, and we're looking at some of the stories behind those, uh, looking at some of the, the biblical significance behind those, because what we've learned so far, if you've been with us, is that when you know the story behind the song, it changes the way that you sing the song, right? And some of the, some of the secular examples that I've given you is with every step you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you by the police, okay? Not a love song, but a song written from the perspective of a stalker, so it changes the way that you sing it, right? Last week, I told you that Puff the Magic Dragon was not about marijuana, but it was about a child growing up, losing his creativity, uh, losing the majesty and the magic of the world, um, this week, I can tell you that, that Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady, uh, there's nothing really special behind that other than they saw a dude that looked like a lady. So that's, that's all there is to say about that. So, um, so again, but what, when we look at the, the stories behind these hymns and, and the biblical uh, significance and the theology that's around them, it changes the way that we sing them, right? It changes the way that we give God praise. It changes the way that we worship. Okay, and so uh, the person I want to introduce you to today is a man by the name of Robert Robinson, okay? So he was born in 1735, good year, uh, had a very difficult life, had a very difficult start of his life. His father actually passed away whenever he was five years old, and his, his maternal grandfather disowned him or disinherited him because he did not agree with who his daughter married, okay? So a lot of family issues going on there. And because social services were not what they are today in the 18th century, uh, Robert was sent off to school to learn a trade. He was supposed to learn the trade to be a barber. Instead, he learned how to drink, how to fight, and he joined a gang, okay? Uh, we, literature that we read doesn't tell us if it was like, like West Side, the Crips, the Bloods. We don't necessarily know that, but whatever the equivalent in that day was. Uh, the Bible would, would say, if the Bible were to tell the story of his life, the Bible would say that he fell into, fell into fellowship with some worthless fellows, okay? If you remember that text from uh, our time in Judges. On one occasion, whenever he was 17, some of his companions uh, got together and they got a, a, a gypsy... Uh, a fortune-telling gypsy woman, they got her drunk, and they all demanded that she tell them their fortunes for free. And so this gypsy woman points her finger at Robert and says, you, you, I don't know how she sounds, but you will live to see your children and grandchildren. And that really struck a chord with him because at 17, that's not necessarily something that you're thinking about. Like, you're not necessarily thinking about that stage of your life. And, and so God used this in a very interesting way. Now, I'm not necessarily endorsing uh, fortune tellers, especially intoxicated gypsy fortune tellers, which sounds like a grunge band from the 90s, doesn't it? Um, but, but because odds are, even at this day and age, the odds of you seeing your children and grandchildren, pretty high, right? And so what, what Robert does in response to this, instead of going drinking with the boys, he decides to take his crew to see a preacher named George Whitfield. Now, George Whitfield is, is one of the most famous preachers in history. You may, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. Um, he was one of the key figures in the first great awakening, okay? 
um, he, he could preach the lights out. Now, a lot of us in the modern day might say that, that Billy Graham is the goat preacher, that he is the greatest of all time. That's who we remember. It, it could be very likely that Billy Graham would say George Whitfield is the goat, is the greatest of all time. It's almost a crime against humanity that people like me are on YouTube and have, or, or on podcast, and George Whitfield is not. But day and age, that's just where we live, right? So, uh, Robert Robinson left this sermon, okay, left his experience, left this message uh, from Whitfield, feeling like Whitfield was preaching directly to him, like he felt like he was speaking directly to him. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience before, um, that, that the, you felt like the preacher was speaking directly to you. Um, actually, it's something, and Curtis can tell us this too, is that they teach you in seminary how to break into people's houses and like read their journals and diaries so that you can get into what's going on in their lives. No, actually what that is, is the Holy Spirit is connecting you to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is, is either convicting you, the Holy Spirit is comforting you. And so it's, it's quite common that, that the Lord is at work when you feel like that preacher is speaking directly to you. People have told me that. I'm sure Curtis has had the same. People have said the same about Tim, is that, is that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and trying to speak to you. And that is exactly what Robert, Robert Robinson's experience is. And so he would actually wrestle with this message over the course of about three years until he gave his life to Christ. And so over time, as he grew in his faith, he actually became a minister and a pastor. So, so we don't necessarily know if he was the first gangbanger to preacher story that we've ever seen, but he certainly hasn't been the last, has he? Okay, so he was going from, he went from getting gypsy fortune tellers drunk to offering people the true vine that is Jesus Christ. And so he wrote the song, Come Thou Fount, as a prayer for his congregation on Pentecost Sunday, okay? And, and Come Thou Fount is, is a hymn full of word pictures. Like as you, as you sing the hymn, as you read the hymn, it's full of a lot of just beautiful imagery. And so uh, for, for the sake of time, there's three words that I want us to focus on. There's three, three word pictures that I want to focus on. And it's the fountain, the Ebenezer, which we'll get there, and the fetter. Okay, one word picture from each verse that we'll be covering. Okay, so this is the first verse. You've already sang it, you've heard the choir sing it. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. So our first word picture is that of a fountain. That of a fountain. Does anyone have any clue where this picture is taken? Where? Not at the W. Looks very similar, yeah. This is actually in Prattville, Alabama. Okay? Um, if, you, if you have a teenager or if you grew up there, it's likely that if you went to prom or homecoming that you would have your picture taken in front of this fountain. Um, you've got the Pratt Mill in the background where the founder of Prattville, Daniel Pratt, uh, had all of his industry. Um, but Prattville is known for, for its artesian wells. That's something that they really like to talk up and talk about. Um, my, my family and I lived there, lived in Prattville for a number of years. And they have these artesian wells kind of all over the city, just kind of in random, random locations. And one of them is at Pratt Park. And if you go there, you can, even on the hottest day of the year, 
you can get some of the coldest, most refreshing water that you've ever tasted in your life. And so what, what Robert Robinson first describes in his very first verse, Come Thou Fount, he describes God as a fountain, okay, as, this, as this endless well. And rightfully so, because God actually describes himself as that very thing. He describes himself this way in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He, he declares, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. This is a figure of speech, okay, that, that God is this fountain, that he is this spring rising up from the ground that flows freely. As a fountain, he fully supplies this living water to his people, okay? And so just the opposite, okay, just the opposite, he contrasts this. He says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And a broken cistern is completely useless. What it is designed to do, it cannot do. Okay, and just like a fountain is this endless supply of water, this, these streams of living water. Living water is, is a theme that you see uh, really throughout the Bible, that it, it represents God's, God's provision, God's presence, God's, uh, God's favor in your life. It is, it is this fountain uh, that is a seemingly unending source. It always gives, it always supplies. His mercies are new each day. His, his blessings, His favor are new every single morning. The bread is fresh every day. Uh, those mercies never ceasing calls for songs of loudest praise. Okay, so that's who God is. That's who God is. And so this imagery is helpful uh, because not only is God this fountain, but we are the broken cisterns. Okay? We are not fountains. Not only are we not fountains, but we can't even hold the water that we are given. Anything that we could ever have to offer to anyone else is only because of the source that we have been given. Any, any chance that we ever have to be full is because we are being filled by that fountain that is God, that is our source. Okay? Anything that we have to offer to anyone else, it only is because of Him. And so as we, as we lose that and as we are broken and as we, as we sometimes forget the mercies of God, as we sometimes forget uh, the things that God has done in our lives, it goes to show that we are in constant need of refilling because we are broken. Okay? He is the fountain okay, that tunes our hearts to sing of His grace. He is the fountain that changes the way that we see our life. He is the fountain that, that changes how uh, our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions. He is the fountain that teaches us a melodious sonnet. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Throughout, throughout the scriptures, there are, there are calls to God from people saying, God, put in my mouth a new song. Or they declare that God has put in me a new song. Basically, what that means is that God has given them something to sing about. God has done something amazing in their life. God has rescued them. God has saved them. God has helped them through a rough situation. And he has put a song in their mouth. And so if, if God has healed you of cancer, if God has healed someone that you love of cancer, he put a new song in you to where you sing, God has healed me of cancer. Like it may, like it, Philip, you want me to like sing in the choir? Just let me know. Okay. All right. You got a spot for me? Yeah. All right, so probably, maybe you sound better than that. Probably you do, okay? But, but that's what it means is that God puts a new song in our hearts, is that he's, he's given us something thankful. He's done something amazing in our lives. And so God is that fountain. He is the source 
of all of these blessings. He is the source of life. Sorry, my microphone's kind of giving me some issues here. I think my ears have shrunk over the course of the last week. I don't know if that's a thing or not. But God is the fountain. He is the source of blessing. He is the source of life. He is the source of, for, of forgiveness. All good things come from the fountain. He is the fount. Come thou fount of every blessing. Okay, so the second verse that I want us to look at goes like this. It says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. We'll get there. Hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. One of, one of the most curious lines in the hymn ever written is the second verse where Robinson writes, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Like, what the heck is an Ebenezer? Part of me thinks, now this, this, I didn't read this anywhere, this is total conjecture from me. Um, I think that his buddies found out that he was writing this hymn or this prayer, and they said, hey, 20 bucks says you won't put Ebenezer in that thing. <laughs> 20, tw- no, no easier money ever made. 20 bucks is a 20 bucks, right? So uh, I don't know, um, what is an Ebenezer, right? What, what is this exactly, okay? Um, so Ebenezer refers to a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 7. There's an Ebenezer stone is a stone of remembrance. It is a marker. It's a memorial. And what Samuel did is he marked the place where the Israelites defeated the Philistines. And what Ebenezer means is the Lord has helped us. The Lord has helped us. And so when people would pass by this location, whether it be on foot, whether it be on donkey, horseback, whatever, they they would see this memorial. And if they knew, at least knew the history of the area, they would see that this was a marker to say, this is where the Lord has helped us. This is where the Lord delivered us. This is where the Lord gave us victory. And, and so we, we raise Ebenezer stones, but in different ways. Like we have markers in our own lives where we mark certain events and we do certain things. And um, there are times that we can recall that God has gotten us out of a jam. There are times that, that we can remember moments where God has provided for us. Okay, when we weren't exactly sure how to make ends meet. But people raise Ebenezer's in all kinds of different ways. Uh, for those of you who keep a diary or keep a journal, you, you make notes of, of how God brought you through, that you had this great need, and this is how godly came, uh, God finally came through. And it might have been something that you were journaling about for a year until that day came and God fulfilled that promise. For other people in the modern day uh, raising an Ebenezer might look like getting a tattoo to remember this moment in your life. Uh, whether it was, uh, for some women, a very difficult pregnancy and a very difficult delivery. Um, God brings about this, this beautiful boy, this beautiful girl. And there's some people that, have, that get tattoos to sort of mark that moment in their lives. For some people, raising this Ebenezer stone and, and having this memorial to how God helped them it's a picture on a wall. Okay, something happened at that place and you took a picture of, of that thing or you painted a picture of that. But there's these markers that we set up in our lives to remember what God has done. Okay, and for, for some of you, I don't know if any of you do this in your houses now, but do you remember when as your kids grew, you would sort of make pencil marks okay, on the threshold and this is how, how tall they are at 10 and at 15 and at 20 and that sort of thing. Um, even those are our little markers of 
yes, their growth, but even the goodness of God. Businesses do this in different ways. With the first dollar that they ever make, sometimes they post that dollar and laminate that dollar and put it over, uh, over their front desk. Whether they're giving God praise for that, I don't know. But, um, but there's so many ways that we can, can raise Ebenezer's and markers in our life to say thanks to God. Uh, for me, one of those would be um, whenever I first felt called into ministry, I, I was praying about it in my parents' driveway. And there's this spot at the end of the driveway where where the sky opens up and, and it, was, it was the night sky and the branches from the trees sort of framed that spot just perfectly. And so in my mind's eye, I can close my eyes and see that spot. I can see how the branches uh, just sort of framed that place up with the stars in the sky. And, and to me, like that would be a really cool picture uh, to hang somewhere in my office, in my house, to remember um, that this is where the Lord has led me. Okay, this is the direction that the Lord has, has for me and how he has helped me get there. Okay? And so for us to be able to mark thankful moments like this in our lives would add so much praise to our lives, would add so much thankfulness to our lives. Um, and I think that we could all use that. Like you, I think that we, we could hear about thankfulness and praise every single week um, because no, I don't, I've never met the person that says, you know, I'm just too thankful for God. Like, I really need to back off on that. Like, never met that person, okay? Um, so, so this is a call, raising an Ebenezer, this is a call to mark those moments in our lives that God has helped us, that we can make much of God, that we can make him into a big deal. All right, so our last verse goes like this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And this last word picture is that of a fetter. A fetter is, is nothing more than just a set of shackles. Um, we tend to not view shackles in a positive light, do we? Like fountains, that's kind of cool. Memorials, that's neat. Shackles, not so much. We see these, we think of imprisonment, we think of slavery, we think of oppression. How, how is this a good thing exactly? Like, why bring this into the picture? About four years ago, there was a, a ship discovered in the, at the bottom of the Black Sea off the coast of Bulgaria, okay? And this, uh, they believe that this ship was dated around maybe about 2,400 years ago, right? Along the times of like uh, some of the, are we learning about this in history? Because I hear some gasps over here. Okay, that's good. It's good, yeah. So, um, so they, they discovered that this ship and dated this ship that was used kind of around the time of the ancient Greeks and around the time of the poet Homer, okay? Um, which you could argue is the second most famous Homer in the world, second to Homer Simpson. Don't know. But, but, but Homer depicts this very ship Okay, describes this very ship, and, um, and it closely resembles this ship, closely resembles some of the artwork that you would see on what's known as the Siren Vase, or Vase, if you prefer. Okay? Uh, many of us know Homer from, from some of his writings. Can anyone tell me uh, what this image depicts, if you remember your world history, world literature? Okay, this... All right, this is the story of Odysseus, Okay? Um, Homer wrote the story of the Odyssey, and it's the story of Odysseus. Odysseus is 
uh, traveling with his crew back from the Trojan Wars to his home country of Ithaca. And along the ways, Odysseus has many just weird encounters with the Cyclops, uh, takes a trip to the underworld, and he comes upon what is known as the Sirens. Like you've probably seen this, um, you've probably seen this uh, used in parodies and different shows and that sort of thing. Um, but, but in the story, they come across the Sirens, and the Sirens are sort of a half woman, half bird. Okay, so they're a flighty bunch. Mm-hmm. Too easy? Okay. They are, known, they are known for their beautiful song, their beautiful singing. They have a way of, of speaking and singing to the heart of man to reveal exactly what that man wants to hear. And they're dangerous. What would happen is, is they would sing these songs and it would lead these ships to sail their ships into the rocks to, to wreck the boats. It would lead men to stepping overboard and, and drowning into, into the sea. And so Odysseus wanted to be the only mortal to hear the song of the sirens and live to tell about it. So he tells his men to put beeswax in their ears so that they won't hear the songs. They man the crew, they stay the course, and they tell him to strap him to the mast so that no matter what, if he, as he hears the songs, he'll be able to restrain himself and stay in place. And so they sail through there, and, and he is fighting with everything, and he wants them to change course. He wants them to untie him so that he can go and hear the songs of the sirens. The, the sirens are, are, are singing of the glories of Odysseus. They know exactly what he wants to hear. And so Odysseus, again, shouted for them, uh, for his men to free him, and they continued their path past the sirens. So why tell this story? Sometimes restraint can save our lives. It's true of Odysseus. With the song of the sirens, Odysseus hearing all of the right things, he was convinced that that's where he wanted to go. Sometimes restraint can save my life and your life. And there's many cases in our lives where the Lord has bound us to him with needs that come up in our lives, with situations that come up in our lives, tragedies that we experience. And all of those things have a way uh, of binding us to the Lord because without those, we would have no need to seek Him. We would have no desire to praise Him. We would have no knowledge of Him. And we would have no, no life, any ounce of our life would ever be submitted to Him because we don't need Him. There, there are instances in our lives that the Lord binds us to him. And he does that because he is good. And we don't always like that, do we? Because we, we're so independent. We want to maintain control of our situation, of our lives, things at work, things with our family. We don't, we don't want to be needy. Like we want to sort of take, thing, take care of things on our own. Um, we don't like being dependent. We don't like being dependent on anyone or anything. But it is, it is the goodness of God, the goodness like a fetter that binds our wandering heart to him, that keeps us bound to him, that keeps our eyes on him, that keeps our ears open to hear what he has for us, and it keeps our hearts from wandering to him, from him. Um, because we, we do know that we are prone to wander, aren't we? Like, just, like, just like Odysseus would have wandered right into the sea, we are prone to wander without restraint. 
that it, it is the Lord that, that binds us because He is good. Have you ever been found? Have you ever been bound to the Lord because someone's sick or because you're sick? Have you ever been bound to the Lord because you have this financial need and, and you're not exactly sure how you're going to see your way through it? Okay, have you ever felt bound because you just, you just need the Lord to help you with your marriage or at least help you through its ending? Like the Lord uses so many things. I'm not necessarily saying that he causes these things, but the Lord has a way of using these, these tragedies, these situations in our lives where we need him. And it is his goodness that binds us to him. His goodness like a fetter. Yes, we want to be set free. Yes, we want freedom. Freedom is, is a good thing. Liberation is a good thing. Uh, we want to be set free from our sin. But uh, the Apostle Paul sort of takes this concept of, of freedom and slavery and he turns it on his head. I don't have this on the screen, but in Romans chapter 6, you can either write this down or, or you can look it up real quick or you can just listen to me, okay? Um, but in Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul sort of flips this idea on his head. This starts in Romans six seventeen. Paul says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So in other words, unbound from one thing, but bound to another. Okay? Verse 19. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. I love that Paul says that, acting as if he's not human at all. He's like, I'm going to speak to you like you're humans, okay? He says, just as you used, your, uh, used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. So what does is, what is being a slave to righteousness lead to? Holiness. Yeah, holiness, okay? Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the benefits of being slaves to God is holiness that leads to eternal life. So not only can is being can being a slave to Christ, keep us out of trouble, restrain us, and save our lives, but it leads to our holiness, and it leads to an eternal life in the presence of God. Okay, so our, our response this morning to the goodness of God, revealed more deeply to us in the person of Jesus Christ, I, I want us to respond once more as we sing to our Father, Come Thou Fount. And as we do that, as we, as we sing this, I want you to picture the inexhaustible fountain that is Jesus Christ, whose grace is fresh for you every day, who wants to satisfy the longings of your heart. As we sing this, I want you to see the Ebenezer Stone, a time in your life, seasons in your life where God has helped you, that God has rescued you, that God has gotten you out of a jam. And as we sing this song, I want you to picture the fetter. Okay, the shackle that we might bind ourselves closely to him today because of his goodness. Not because he is a cruel master, but because of his goodness, because of his love, 
because in doing so, we may not wander, but they, we might walk in holiness and that we might experience him. He is the fountain. He is the source of life. His deeds are worth our praise and our thankfulness. And our freedom is worth giving to his lordship. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts to, to sing, Come Thou Fount, we thank you that you are this endless fount. We thank you that, that you, you do so much, God. There's so many things, there's so many deeds that you perform in our lives. To be honest with you, God, there's so many of them that we miss sometimes. And so, God, may we be people that, that praise you for who you are, that praise you that you are that, that limitless source. May we be people that mark our lives with, with moments and times that you have done amazing things, Father. And may, may we be people that bind ourselves to you that bind ourselves to your goodness, that go where you go, that, that, that speak when you speak. People that do what you do, Father. May we walk in your image because you have designed us to do that. May we lift our voices to give you praise with this song. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.